It's good to see you. Um, we'll, if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew 5, we'll get there in a second. That's where uh, the bulk of our verse is going to be. But I want to start with this. Five words for the congregation today. Grade me on a curve. <laughs> it's, uh, on Super Bowl Sunday, they decided to have a rookie come up here and preach. So, uh, so have, some, have some mercy. Uh, I throw myself to the mercy of the court. This is the sixth of our Discipleship Pathway sermons. We've been going through those um, at the start of the year until Lent, and this is the sixth and final Discipleship Pathway sermon. In order, they were come and see, ask, seek, knock, turn and trust, abide in me. Mark last week preached beautifully on love one another, and today we have love our neighbor. And I've lived a lot of years in this neighborhood, and I think that's probably why I'm up here uh, today. I have a heart for the neighborhood. Um, I have experienced a lot of the things that some of the people in our neighborhood would have experienced. And so we will be talking specifically about this neighborhood today. I do not want uh, to overlook, however, uh, the many ways in which we would love our neighbor all over the world. And so I want to hit those really quickly, just to say that we don't, we, we're not, not caring about those, but today we're going to speak specifically about this block and this neighborhood. But we'll start with the metaphysical neighbor, right? The, the people that we meet online. Uh, we live in an online universe now, and I, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, people argue about Christianity all the time on the internet. So we've got to love our metaphysical neighbor. And I could talk about that for two days, but we're not going to do that today. We have our international neighbor, right? The people to whom we love when we go on international missions. Macy just came up here and prayed for one. We have another of our own, Naomi Proctor, who's going to Japan uh, next year. We obviously have numerous missions at Grace Chapel that are supported that are international. We love our international neighbor. We obviously love our neighbor in America, too, that's far away. I don't know if you knew this, but the country's like 3,000 miles wide. And so it's like 14 countries in one when you think about it. And so we have missions to other parts of the country. Our youth team goes on a mission to St. Louis every single year. That's 400 miles away. We love our neighbor in America. We love our neighbor in Lincoln, specifically Lincoln, uh, the city of Lincoln, the state of Nebraska. And of course, we love our neighbors that are right next door. And I have all the confidence in the world that there are people in this room that love their own, like physical neighbors, the people that live 13 feet away really, really, really well. And so I, I want to promote that too. We are now, though, going to talk about the fact that we worship on this block, in this neighborhood, on this street, with these sidewalks. We're going to talk about this specific neighborhood. Um, and it's here where we introduce our verses. From Matthew 5, 2 through 6. There might only be, uh, yeah, uh, they're all up there. Uh, this is the beginning of Christ's Beatitudes during the Sermon on the Mount. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let us pray. Hello, Father, we come to you today in praise for the way that you have made this world. Um, you have uh, made it a place that seeks after justice, even though it is broken and fallen. Um, you have made it a place that puts on our hearts a desire to love our neighbor, 
even though that is not always a natural inclination. You give us this, either through common grace or specific grace. Uh, This is a broken, screwed up world, and yet here you give us a savior uh, who not only tells us to love our neighbor, but gives us a rubric by which to think about that, who is loving his neighbors from the very beginning of the gospels to the very end. I ask that you give me words today uh, to preach that reflect that. Lord, we come to you in praise. We come to you in thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get to why we love our neighbor in this block, let's start with how Jesus, as the Sermon on the Mount begins, was loving his neighbor. Since the sermon begins in Matthew 5, we've got to go back to Matthew 4. Matthew 4 is a pretty action-packed chapter in the Gospels. It's kind of split into four parts. The first part is the temptation of Christ, or the temptation of Jesus. The second part, Jesus begins his ministry. In the third part, he calls his disciples, and in the fourth part, that ministry grows. In Matthew 4.23, he goes through all Galilee, teaching and preaching and healing every affliction and disease. In 4.24, his fame spreads. As the sick are brought to him, the demon possessed, the paralytics. And in 4.25, great crowds from Jerusalem to Judea. These are where they're from. Follow this man full of healing and love. At the start of Matthew 5, Jesus has seen these crowds, heads up the mountain, and begins the sermon to his disciples. The teaching then underlines what was already true of what he was doing for his neighbor. He was loving them. He was feeding them. He was healing them. He was loving them. The sermon underlines loving the neighbor. I'd like to think that a decent number of the folks that would have been in those crowds are the same kind of people who live in this neighborhood. I would have been one of those people. I have been one of those people. So let's talk briefly about the geographical boundaries of the neighborhood. Um, now, everybody probably has their own idea of this, so give me some grace as I define it. I've lived in six different spots, so I'm going to try to define it. If you think it's a little broader, that's okay. If you think it's a little smaller, that's okay, too. We go to the eastern boundary, which I think is 27th Street. So you go all the way up to 27th Street, all right? That's uh, that, that part. And then on the west, I'd say it goes down to 9th Street, but if you want to go all the way to the railroad tracks, you do that. All the way down to the railroad tracks, which is at 1st Street, by the way. On the north side, it's a little tricky. I would say it's the state capitol, which is about six blocks away from here. K Street, right beyond the state capitol. Kind of going all the way down to 27th, so it kind of goes down Capitol Parkway, right around Lincoln High. And then on the south side, well, it's South Street. I live just on the south side of South Street now, on Lake Street, which is just on the other side of Brian LGH West Hospital. So technically, I live just outside Um, of this neighborhood, but there's a lot of things in that neighborhood, right? There's three elementary schools. There's Everett, there's McPhee, and there's Prescott. There is a high school, Lincoln High. There's a grocery store that I think we all know, Russ's Market over here on 17th and Washington. There's, depending on how you count it, five to seven gas stations, three of which are Casey's. (laughs) They are. I don't know why they're all so close together, but they are. There's really good coffee shops. There's really good restaurants in this neighborhood. And there's a bunch of churches. And we're one of them. Uh, I think we moved down here about six years ago. Uh, and we've had a heart for this neighborhood that's been growing over time. And Crystal has a lot to do with why it's grown into what it is now in the neighborhood ministry. And she'll come up and talk after I'm done and talk about some practical ways to love people. Some of you live in this neighborhood. Like, live in it. I live just beyond it. Some of you actually live in it. Thank you for living in it. Um, 
having lived here for a long time, I know it's not the easiest neighborhood to live in. There's not a mall here. There's not a movie theater here. You have to leave it to go do some other stuff. You can run and, you know, bike a little bit in this neighborhood, but the trails are just beyond it. Thank you for living in this neighborhood. I know, because I've lived in it, it's not always easy. It is diverse racially, ethnically, experientially, politically, and yes, economically. This neighborhood has some of the oldest and largest houses in the city. I've walked them up there about B and C streets. And some of the toughest living situations. Some folks in our neighborhood don't have homes at all. And to work and to live here is to know that diversity well. And I've lived in six different spots in the neighborhood. And I can attest to living both alongside the materially poor and having been materially poor myself. I can also attest to having my Jesus moment in this neighborhood, a full-on encounter with Christ six blocks from here at 1613 East Street. This is not a house you will miss. It's there. It's a duplex. I was on the left side if you're facing the street. It is two colors, the outside and the inside of a lime. Dark green, light green. I encourage you to drive by it today. When you see the porch, you will say, there was a person who was saved on that porch, and I know him. He was preaching today. That was me. Yeah, December 4th, 2004. Right on that porch, about 2 a.m. in the morning. I used to own dogs. I don't own dogs anymore. But I used to own them, and they had to go out. And it was at that moment that I was saved. Jesus came upon me. And I fell back on the couch that was facing the street, and I just said, thank you, over and over and over again. That was the third of the six places where I've lived. The first place was at uh, the corner of 10th and G. It's law offices now. I live in the basement apartment. Uh, it was about the size of our conference room. The second place I lived at was on 12th Street between Sumner and Garfield in the upstairs of a house. In the, in the first floor of the house was a family of four, and they liked to play the piano all day long. <laughs> the third place was at 1613 E Street, which again was a duplex. The fourth place, after I was thrown out of my house on 1613 East Street, my wife Molly was praying for me in Hazel Abel Park as that was happening. The fourth place I lived was 1342B. That was rough. That's a fourplex. You can drive by that too. Kind of a rough area of town right over here. The fifth place I lived in was the first place I lived in after I got married to Molly. That was 1601 South 24th. And we lived again on the top side of a house. On the bottom side of the house was a guy that smoked so much weed, we felt like we were getting high in the top side of the house. And the last place I lived at was 1601 South 20th, uh, which according to Molly, was that was the address. It was the corner of 20th and Garfield. And most people have maybe seen this building. It's very cool. I always thought they could have put an artist colony in there. Uh, it was very cool. Uh, we also lived in the basement apartment, and then we moved out of there. I first lived on my own in this neighborhood. I made my first Thanksgiving dinner in this neighborhood. I started my married life here. Mary was born, not actually in 20th and Garfield, but you know when we brought her home, she was born there. And our son goes to school at Prescott. So I know this, this neighborhood. Um, our son's friends live in this neighborhood. Our daughter's friends do too. While there isn't a one-to-one relationship between material and spiritual poverty, Jesus uses these words like poor and meek and mourn and hunger and thirst. And those words would have matched the physical reality of so many of those following after him in those crowds, and it would have matched the physical reality of Christ himself. He was an itinerant preacher with no home who traveled the land embodying what he taught, but he, he was poor. Now, outside of Christ, the materially poor then and now are not religious unicorns, 
I'm not here to tell you that. They're not perfect. They're not uniform in nature. There's a wide diversity there, and there's an exception always in the room. So we're not here to patronize anybody. And there are many people, including beloved brothers and sisters in this church, who have not experienced extreme material poverty, but nevertheless know their need for Jesus and love their neighbors well. Thank you for that. There are people in this room who have not experienced that, who are nevertheless poor in spirit and love their neighbors well. Thank you. Nevertheless, material poverty can put people in great proximity of their awareness of spiritual need. Let me say that again. Material poverty can put you in great proximity to understanding your need. When, you're, when you don't have a lot of stuff, that feeling of want, right, that, that, that gap is very small. The lack of stuff as essential as housing or food can put brokenness in stark relief. The material poor are more likely to be victims of crime and investigated by police. They're more likely to eat too little overall and too much junk when they do eat. They're more likely to have strained or blistered relationships. They're more likely to be one mistake either their own or someone else's, a mistake that anybody could have made, and I certainly have, away from financial emergency. And they're more likely to be one bad argument from spending the night away from wherever they live. Each one of those circumstances describe my life at some point. Material poverty can feel like the tide on an ocean washing out and what's left behind in the wake the brokenness that might typically be obscured in a life with material wealth is evident on that beach. It's stuck there. And we don't always know what to do with that evidence. James chapter 2 calls us to not explicitly discriminate against the poor, and it's fair to say, though there are absolutely exceptions, that many churches at least outwardly try not to do that. They embrace that teaching. In subtler ways, though, we can struggle, particularly related to how we invest relationally. In my experience, and this includes my own behavior, people in this neighborhood are going to be transparent about who they are and what they have experienced. You're going to know their joy, and you're going to know their mess. And if you talk into our drop-in staff, my wife is part of that, as is Crystal. Yeah, So many other people are a part of it. We're so thankful for who they are and what they're doing for us. If you talk to our drop-in staff, they'll tell you that. Our whole staff learns the life stories on a daily basis, and that kind of makes sense. God knows the whole story anyway. And when you lack social status and you lack material stuff, circumspection and propriety don't have the same upside. right? And we're not always sure how to respond to that. For one thing, there are genuine emergency situations where we have to call services, and our staff can attest to that too. But in a lot of cases, the honesty of the poor scares us. It strikes us as inappropriate. And into the world it often is. A global power, which America is, some people would say it's an empire, does not often have time or energy to deal with that. We have a list. I have a list of things that i got to get through, of things that I want to get done, of things that I want to see for my wife and my kids and my broader family, and that list How am I going to get through that list if I have to spend too much time? Christ is, among other things, pretty inconvenient. It can slow us down. It can be hard to look at one neighborhood that's bounded by 27th and 9th and South and K and say, I'm going to invest all of my energy there. What about the buffet that I've been given that the the modern world gives me? 
And sometimes we, and particularly me, would like to live with a middle spirit, more want than need, that practices inner gratitude for what we have and projected empathy for those who have far less. That empathy, while real, feels safer than a more fully formed relationship might. And sometimes we can settle for that and we can feel bad about it. Maybe sometimes we feel good about feeling bad. Like the felt sentiment is some sort of offering to our creator. I acknowledge I have all these things, Jesus. I'm sorry I haven't done more. I'll try to make more time. That's at least a start. Awareness of material fortune. Passionate Christian organizations that have spent time really digging into the issue will say, too, that material poverty has a connection to relational poverty, and building those relationships often outweighs the material support that one can provide. Those impulses that we have and actions are decent, and to some degree they're a byproduct of the conscience that God gives us, the law of human nature, as C.S. Lewis would describe it. Non-believers can love the material poor in deep and extraordinary ways out of what we would call common grace or the way that the creator works for justice in a fallen world among people who don't believe a word of the Bible. But we do believe in the word. And so we can experience grace with the knowledge of what it really is, the ultimate expression in love. People know the parable of the Good Samaritan when an expert in the law, a Pharisee, asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And what's he trying to do there? He's trying to tighten the definition of who the neighbor is. And Jesus' answer subverts that question and rather speaks to what love is and the expansiveness of what Jesus, who is, after all, and not everybody agrees with this, but who is, after all, the Good Samaritan in the parable would do for us. Think about that parable and all of the things that the Good Samaritan does. It is a picture and a window into what Christ would do. And of course, when it comes down to it, Christ does even more than Samaritan in the parable, doesn't he? Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the ultimate love. And it's here where the poor in spirit are blessed. Because they know that. They know that their need for Jesus and forgiveness for a Savior who is both gentle and lowly and will have heaven's armies behind him when he returns. They know the need for that. And there is a relationship between material poverty and spiritual poverty. Anybody ever used those parachutes when you were a kid? Right? Those big giant parachutes that fly up in the air and then they come down? I want you to think about material poverty like the spots in the parachute that come down first and the spots that touch the people right away. There's a closeness to the kingdom of heaven and the world at hand in those moments, and that's where material poverty meets. And this neighborhood has such recognition of its poverty and spirits and thus has real riches as a result. It has an understanding of its big existential need over smaller things. Now, Crystal's going to come up and talk about practical, tangible, meaningful ways to connect in the, rela- in the, in the neighborhood. And she's done a lot of work, and I really appreciate that. She spent a lot of time here praying and loving well, but also building relationships with folks who built ministries before we ever moved here. So what she has to say really counts. And of course, we're called to love our neighbors all over, 
And I'm sure many of you do that in ways surpassing anything I've done or could imagine. And again, I thank you. My wife, Molly, loved me first as a neighbor and a friend before she did as a husband. And it made all the difference on that porch six blocks away. I used to walk by this church all the time, all the time, going down to Brewski's, which isn't there anymore. Didn't know who worshipped in it. Didn't know it would be for me. Didn't even really think about it until I knew how much I needed Jesus. There are people walking this block, on this sidewalk, who need the same thing. And there are people who already have that. Both of those groups are in this church every week. And the invitations to love them are frequent. Especially when we see ourselves in that crowd and we allow ourselves to be poor in spirit. Let's pray. Hello, Father. May we recognize um, our own need, above all, um, our need for Jesus and our, uh, our gratitude for his, uh, his death on the cross and his resurrection. But simultaneously, that in recognizing our need and having that gratitude, that we also see a, a place forward in acting and in loving with relationship, starting with prayer and continuing with something more than that. I ask that you put on the hearts of this congregation a desire to love this area and this block and the people who live in it and to support those who are already doing it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.